Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for our weekly journey into the unknown. That's what it feels like sometimes here. Welcome to Living Hope, a weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. With our host, she's the guide for so many on this journey here, Roberta Luna. Welcome. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be back again. I really find I'm really loving this more than I thought I would. <laughs> so, we love hearing you. it. <laughs> Thank you for that opportunity. Today, I'm really thrilled to have Stephanie Rebecca Hole with us. You can describe Stephanie in so many ways. She's a wife, a boy's uh, mom, an advocate, great friend. And I think my favorite description is a control engineer. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll probably you'll probably understand why a little bit later. Stephanie, thank you again for being here and sharing your your journey with us. I know sometimes it's difficult, but um, how old were you when you were first affected with by pancreatic cancer? Um, I had just turned twenty nine years old. Oh, so oh, I was th- I wasn't sure what your age and who was it in your family? It was my maternal grandmother. And what um, you were talking about her earlier, the type of person and, and such that she was. Could you just kind of give us a little description on your grandma and also her name, please? My grandmother was Viola Galvin, formerly Viola Flores. And she was the original tomboy in lace. <laughs> she was a spitfire, hardworking. She um, was a migrant farm worker. And she was actually the breadwinner for her family. And I don't think she really ever gets any credit for that. Um, but she was the one that was really pulling in uh, the income for her large family. And she later, you know, became a mother and a wife and she really ran her household I mean it was effortless and she did it looking beautiful (laughs) I don't think I ever saw my grandmother have a bad day and in pictures uh, I see her looking lovely and 100% all the time that was you know part of who she was I think you probably take after your grandmother, especially when you said the cowboy and lace part. That kind of struck with me and the spitfire. So I think you're a lot like your grandma, and I've never seen you look bad at all. (laughs) Thank you. That's a huge compliment. I think it would make her proud to hear that. And when did your grandmother become ill? I remember her going to have a colonoscopy and my sister to you know she calling my sister and my sister taking her home and I think it was shortly after that you know and she got her results so it was probably within the same year that we found out about her diagnosis I believe she knew before and she was preparing herself I think she was going to fight and she might have even tried some treatment um, that was never ever clear my grandma was you know she was a rascal she liked to keep secrets everything was pretty personal she let you know what she wanted you to know and you know she kept everything pretty tight she I remember her asking me to take her to get a wig and I thought it was for like a soul a surgery that she never ended up getting and she started taking these vacations that she would never have done before like going to Europe and you know small little vacations she was you know a party girl so she liked to have a good Mm -hmm. time so she took her one last trip to Laughlin and she came back yellow like like they called her Tweety Bird because she was so jaundiced and they took her right to the hospital and she was diagnosed or someone came out and I gave her her diagnosis but she took it like she already knew 
So you think probably somewhere along the line, did she go for the colonoscopy just as, you know, a regular or regular checkup or was she having some issues? You know, that's a good question. And I've never really thought about that. She might have not been feeling well, you know, or it was just a routine, you know, checkup. You know, I'm not quite sure. She was in her 70s, so I'm not really sure what the care is, you know, at that point, you know, if you go on a routine basis or if she wasn't feeling well, but she was, like I said, she was really um, private. So she wouldn't have mentioned something like that. How long after you all realized that it was pancreatic cancer, did she survive? Did she fought for six weeks. Six weeks. I mean, I want to say that loosely because she wasn't going to give up, but she had decided to um, spend her time at home. She, she didn't want treatment and um, she stayed, you know, with us through Christmas and, and New Year's. And I think she did it on purpose because she didn't want to ruin the holidays <laughs> for us. And that's just like her. I always describe my, my grandmother as having Christmas magic. And Christmas was the ultimate time for our family. And she made it so beautiful and so wonderful and memorable. I mean, I can remember Christmases as far back as as four years old and what she gave me and what she did for us. Um, so I think she lasted through the holidays on purpose. Um, she passed away on January 2nd of the next year. So she was really hanging on, um, but it was a tough six weeks. She didn't want any kind of pain medication because she felt it made her loopy. And so she went through her last days, weeks, just in so much pain. You know, she, I remember her telling me, pray I die tonight. And every day I would see her at night before I left, she'd say, please pray I die. That's, it's a hard thing to go through because there's, you know, we pray that our loved ones that are going through it survive and fight. And then we get to the point to where we actually pray that it ends for them because of such of the pain they go through. I remember doing that for my dad and my dad was the same. He wouldn't take any pain medicine because he wanted to be in full memory of things and have capacity. He wanted to be able to talk and visit. And so he refused medicine. Well, and it's hard to watch them go through that. So um, it's very difficult. But how did your family feel with the thought that she didn't want to take any chemo or do any, any treatment? They were all upset. I remember being in the hospital and her, I remember them being upset and she asked me, she turned to me and she said, what would you do? And I said, well, on one hand, you know, you could have treatment and you can live a little longer. And she said, and I'll be sick that whole time and it's not going to save my life. And she said, would you go home? And I said, I would. And she told her children, my aunts and my uncles and my mom, I just want to spend my time with daddy at home, her husband, my grandpa. And so that's what she did. She went home. Everybody was upset. I had an uncle who thought that um, he could cure her. Mm -hmm. And so he was forcing these protein injections into her and people were making her eat. It's the same old story. You know, people think if they feed someone, they're going to cure them or they're going to keep them alive. And it was torturing her, you know, at at a certain point it was just torturing her because she couldn't keep anything down or it wouldn't even pass through, you know, so they were upset. You know, that's their mom. It's hard to let go. And I think sometimes the best thing we can do to show love for somebody is to let them go, but it's not an easy decision and it's very, very difficult. And did your family, did they finally come around and accept it or was there anything 
I think at a certain point they saw how sick she was getting, you know, with like the protein injections. Her doctor even made a house visit to go over everything again. I can't remember her name and she was just an angel and she loved my grandma. She treated her like (laughs) she was her grandmother too. And she tried to explain everybody again. My mom's a nurse and my sister was, well, she had been a nurse for a while. So she, you know, she understood. And so, you know, it was the rest of the family that was trying like to like kind of get a grip on what was happening on her last breaths my mom even though my grandmother was a dnr my mom gave her cpr because she felt like she had to do every last thing she could to to save her mother she that that was one of the loves of her life was her mother you know and so she felt like she had to even though she wasn't supposed to because it was just one last effort you know and you know letting go is so hard it is it's very hard and you know whatever it is that you can do to get through it it, it's not wrong so i mean i hope she's okay with what she did and it's just sometimes we we just react out of love it's hard to let let that go so these times were i'm sure difficult for you so how did how did you deal with it all i just showed up for her the first time around you know with caregiving i didn't do a lot of like the physical care i did the emotional stuff so I would show up after work and my grandmother liked how I dressed so she'd want me to like you know model for her and she'd want to try on the the stilettos that I had on that day so I tried to make sure I had something fabulous on and I would read devotionals to her or she'd want me to dance tell her jokes stories getting her a cup of water she wanted a beer so you know she wanted beer was going to give her beer so (laughs) giving her beer anything she wanted you know I could be there until she went to sleep and then I would would leave so I just took it day by day and it it was very sad for me my grandmother was like a second mom to me and if I couldn't go to my mother you know in your teenage years I could go to my grandmother and and talk to her about things or ask her for help. She was really good about not taking sides with my mom or or me. She just stayed neutral but would give advice. And so it it was hard, but it was kind of like we were like swimming underwater, you know, trying to get to like the edge of the pool, like you're in a pool and you're trying to get to the edge. And so you're underwater swimming. And I felt like that's what we were doing until her time came. What is your favorite memory of your grandmother? Of all time? Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of great memories. Trying on wigs was a good one, but I'd say I'd say we took a trip to Mexico and she liked to go swimming but only at night. She didn't want anybody to see in her bathing suit. And she had a fantastic figure, but she was very modest. So she doesn't know how to swim. <laughs> and and at the beach we were at, it was really, it was shallow for a really long time. So we're out at night swimming in the beach and we're pretending. And my mom came out to like check on all of us. And she was pretending like she was swimming in the deep. <laughs> and she scared my mother. And then she, she stood up and, you know, had a good laugh. And, and I just thought, gosh, you know, at that time I was, I think 12. I thought, wow, she's an old lady and she's still so funny. <laughs> <laughs> She was just a prankster. She was brave. We went parasailing. You know, none of us really wanted to do it. We were so scared, but she wanted to. And so, you know, that vacation, that entire vacation, she was so much fun. And I had so, 
I had a lot of time with her, like just us, no other um, families, just, you know, us. And we really had that wonderful time with her. And I'm sorry, what year did your grandma pass? 2006. 2006. And, you know, it, it's grief is difficult, and there is no time limit on grief. And But I'm really happy to hear that you have a lot of happy and joyful memories that, you know, though it's sad, but it also brings, you know, tears to your eyes, but a smile to your face and to mine as well. So, you know, thank you for sharing that. After um, your grandmother's uh, passing, you became involved in PANCAN, the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, as a volunteer. How did that happen? So I read um, the Susan G. Komen book, and I, I, you know, I read a lot. I'm a stay-at-home mom, and so I, it was so inspired, and I looked up pancreatic cancer, and I wanted to do whatever I could. I didn't know how I was going to help. I didn't know what I was qualified for, if I would be taken seriously. So I found Roberta Luna's name. (laughs) Uh-oh. <laughs> on the website and I emailed you and I think at first it went to spam because my last name yes oh and so um I followed up I was like really uh, intimidated but I followed up and you're like oh my gosh I'm so sorry please come to our meeting and I remember the first meeting I walked in and I was so nervous and intimidated and I felt so dumb I walked out and I remember thinking my grandma would be so disappointed in me. So I walked back in and I don't know why I was so nervous. Everybody was so nice to me, welcoming. And, you know, everybody wanted to hear what I had to say and everybody gave each other respect and courtesy. And it was like, I had this whole new network of friends when I left. And, um, over time, I felt comfort and I had been searching for it for so long because I had been so sad and I think I needed to kind of break away from my family and not carry the burden as a group and reach out and I finally felt healed and I felt empowered and this group of people turned into my family. A family we say no one wants to be a part of, but very thankful for just the same. And we're very happy to have you, and you've done an awesome job. You are our, see if I can get this right, Purple Stride Volunteer Event Day Chair, something like that. Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Where you encourage people to come and volunteer for our Purple Stride and and set them up in different positions that they can help and make a difference as well. So thank you. You've done an awesome job. I don't remember the first year you became our Purple Stride event day chair but do you remember offhand or I've been doing it for a while I believe I have I think 2012 was when I started coming to meetings so I think in 2014 is when I did the first that was the first time I ever did a purpose yes yeah, so so 2013 I did um, well in 2012 I did um, registration with the Fishers <laughs> and then the next year Jim um, asked for me to be in charge of it and I, I thought, wow, that's such a big um, responsibility. And he really believes in me. And I'm not sure why, <laughs> but, you know, OK, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm Jim Fisher's asking me to do this and he w- believes in you know my ability. So I'm going to do it. And the next year, I remember you saying, hey, you know, we need this. I think you can do it. 
And, you know, prior to that, you know, in my 20s, I always wanted to become more involved in fundraising and um, advocacy. And it was like the universe and God handing me a baton and saying, you know, there you go. It's your turn now. And I was scared and I didn't want to do it. And I was like, I'm getting what I want. I need to go for it. And I remember having a conversation with you and Vic and I told you, I don't want to let you down. And I remember you looking me in the eye and saying, we know you can do this. And I thought, okay, here we go. <laughs> and I think I had a break in between that. I think I had a year, a year or two that I didn't, my mother-in-law had gotten her, um, she had been diagnosed and, um, and so I wasn't able to, um, to chair that year, but I attended and then I think that space was open again, and so I took it. Yeah, we're very happy you did, and very sorry that the break that you took was because your mother-in-law had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer as well, correct? Yeah. Yes, I'm sure it's something you never expected after going through it once and then having your mother-in-law. Did she present with any kind of symptoms or anything? Or So she didn't. She Well, she had been complaining of a stomach ache, and she and I became very close prior to, to that. And so, you know, I'd said, you know, you need to go to the doctor. And she was so great. She would, she respected my opinion and she went, she had a new doctor. And so the doctor thought, oh, it's her age. She's constipated. And so she sent her on her way. And my mother-in-law um, would travel back and forth from um, Southern California to um, uh, Chicago and to um, work in my, um, my brother-in-law's nail salons, um, I think it was more for her because she was bored. Um, and so they would kind of just, you know, let her do whatever she wanted. And her pain got so intense while she was working, she couldn't take it. And so they took her to the hospital and that's when they found out she had pancreatic cancer. Did she do any treatments or was surgery an option for her? Surgery was not an option because by the time they found, they found out she was sick, she, it had traveled up to her lungs. So she lit up like a Christmas tree. I mean, it was everywhere. It had metastasized, you know, everywhere. So, you know, they had told her, you know, she could have treatment again to, you know, extend her life. And my mother-in-law was a midwife in Vietnam. She was a very educated woman. And she had said, are you going to save my life? You Can you cure me? And the doctor said, well, no. And she said, then I need to go home and spend time with my family, not in the hospital. And I'm, you know, going to live up my days there. You said she was in extreme pain. How did she manage that pain during this time? Um, after her diagnosis or before? Either or both. I think she was just living through it. Okay. I think she was just living through it before. And after, you know, I swore that, you know, once I found out what was wrong with my mother-in-law, we moved to Chicago. Um she wanted me to take care of her and I wanted to also. And so I became her primary caregiver. I swore I was not going to let her go through the same pain that my grandmother did. I just wasn't going to do it. If she wanted whatever she wanted, I was going to do. So she didn't want medication. Of course not. But if she did, I was going to give it to her. And so she did, she did take the painkillers and the medications that the doctor um, prescribed for her. 
And did they help? And was she able to live the life that she wanted to live? So it helped at first. Um, my mother-in-law didn't take many medications. So at first um, it altered her. She took lorazepam and I remember she wanted to go to Cancun. So 30 of us went to Cancun <laughs> and the night before we had, you know, given her some lorazepam so she could get used to it. And it really doped her up and she was a small woman and it really upset some of my husband's family in fact I had a brother-in-law that accused me of overdosing my mother-in-law you know people act silly or act unreasonable when they're you know grieving and upset but she was able to go on vacation she couldn't do much she tried to swim in the pool with my boys it was really adorable she loved watching my boys swim and she wanted to hold them as long as she could so she would you know hold them on her lap let them sleep by her you know whatever she could but once we got back from vacation I remember there was one day she just took a turn for the worst it was like she had like a really good day and I think it gave everybody hope but I knew and the next day it was just it, it was downhill from there it really really was so she managed you know with certain painkillers and I remember they weren't enough anymore it just got to a point where even those things weren't enough Yes, and it's it's hard hard to watch that. You've had caregiver experience, but almost like two different types of caregivers. One, you know, with your grandmother was totally different than with your with your mother in law. So, what helped you? How did you get through those times? That had to be tough for you. It did, but you know, with my grandmother, it was just simple. You know, I wanted to be with her as much as I could. I just I loved her so much, and I really respected her. I just wanted to be around her, and I couldn't imagine my life without my grandmother. I thought she was going to be there for my wedding. I thought she'd be in the delivery room when I had my children. So I, thought I wanted to get every last second of her. With my mother-in-law, you know, it was an honor. When she asked me to take care of her, it was an honor. And I felt like, you know, she's asking me she trusted me with her life the, the, the rest of her life the end of her life and I thought oh, this is what I'm going to do and I became a fierce protector I mean I was <laughs> I was just like on like high alert so you know if someone was doing something she didn't like or they were bothering her she would give me this look and I knew and I'd be like nope <laughs> like oh you know get out of here or knock it off you know I became this fierce protector over her and I didn't leave her side. I just, I didn't. I would try to give people their time with her. And, um, you know, I just didn't want her to be alone. I didn't know how long we were going to have. And so I didn't want to risk her dying by herself. And so I would get, you know, a little bit of sleep here and there, but I just, I didn't want to leave her by herself. And I think it was the mutual respect and the love that got me through that. Plus, my husband is everything to me and my children and if I can do this for them you know taking care of her then I'm going to do it yes and is there a particular lesson you learned from your mother-in-law yeah everything's going to be okay <laughs> she would say it's okay because I would get so riled up but even before she got sick you know I would get riled up about something and I'm such a firecracker and <laughs> she would say it's okay it's all gonna be okay and you know it's it's taken time for me but she's right no matter what everything is gonna be okay and so that is like the lesson you know to just 
let things go and you know I can't control it so you know just you know roll with it and smile that's the best advice I've heard today (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank you again for coming and each episode at the end we like to dedicate it to somebody affected by pancreatic cancer and I really would love to dedicate it to your grandmother and your mother-in-law would you just tell us their name please Viola Galvin and Trang Quinn. Thank you very much. There's an old, uh, I think it's an African proverb that says, when you speak my name, I live forever. And that's one reason why we do this at the end. So very thankful to have you and share your journey. I know it can be difficult, but really loved hearing your story and about your grandma and your mother-in-law. But they both were spitfires, and I see where you get it from. So thank you for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Well, there you have it. Another great reason to tune each and every time to our weekly journey, Living Hope, designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer, sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. And if you'd like to share your story, by all means, contact us here at OC Talk Radio. And if, as always, if anyone you know needs immediate help, like right now, there is a number. Just contact Patient Services at 877-2-PANCAN for more help and information. That's 877, the number 2, P-A-N-C-A-N for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. And for the OC Talk Radio Network, I'm Paul Roberts. Thanking you for listening. Hoping we'll hear you again. You'll join us here again. And hope you'll share this with somebody. That's really the power of these stories. Not just for you, but for everybody that we know. Share a story. Help a friend. Here in Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. Streaming live from our studios here at the University of California Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center. 